For many people today, the Civil War remains a topic that stirs emotions, not only regarding the triumphs and tragedies of the war itself, but also because of the way in which these events are remembered. Library of Congress curator John Sellers shares his view on this subject when we return. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment, and yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard, and when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey Internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. I'm Gaston Espinosa, and with me today is Dr. John Sellers. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Sellers. Yes. I'm really curious about this episode that you described in Richmond, Virginia. When did that happen? Was that a recent that was, episode? That was dedicated uh, within the uh, the year, I think 2004, uh, earlier this year. Do you think that was an anomaly? Was that something that was no, unusual? No, I, I reviewed, for example, in Atlanta, I was asked to review an exhibit on the Civil War, a large exhibit, at the Atlanta Historical Society, and you know these are very nice people, very talented, and I went through the exhibit with the chairman of the board and the curators. Uh, when I got through, they wanted to know what I thought about it, and I told them it had a Confederate bias. Well, they were a little startled and uh, aggrieved and asked what I meant, and I said, well, you don't have a single item in here reflecting anything on Abraham Lincoln. There's not an image. There's nothing, not a letter. And he had a great deal to do with the war. <laughs> and then I was told by one member of the group uh, that there would not be. So I, you know, they, they, I think they then recognized what I was talking about, but the exhibit didn't change. 
And it's just a, a feeling that they were not going to honor Lincoln by putting anything relating to him in an exhibit in Atlanta. Now, I'm from California, so you have to excuse the question, but I don't understand why an historical society in the South would not want to include Abraham Lincoln in an exhibit about the Civil War. Help me out here. <laughs> I didn't understand it either, but I understand the feeling. And I, I, I know where it's coming from. I grew up in the South. And what I would say to that is if you actually read the writings of Abraham Lincoln, you will grow in appreciation of the man, the depth and breadth of the man. I've never met a scholar studying Lincoln, and I know uh, two dozen of them, that did not increase his respect and appreciation of the ability and dedication of Lincoln as his work progressed. Uh, that has been uniformly true. Now, are these attitudes towards Lincoln in the South primarily the attitudes of rural people, or are these primarily urban attitudes? No, they, these were successful uh, business people, uh, and they just had the Southern uh, Confederate outlook uh, on things. It, it's, it's a different way of thinking. Uh, not everyone is that way. There are many people who feel differently. There's actually a small Lincoln group uh, club, like in Atlanta. And I think there's a strong Lincoln group in Florida, and I've heard there's one in New Orleans, but I, I don't know that for sure. Do you think the strong sense of Southern culture and Southern pride was one of the factors that was behind the controversy over the Confederate flag in Alabama? Certainly, yes. And, uh, you know, it's, you mean the one they want to get back from the uh, either Wisconsin or Minnesota? That yes, that too. And also, and also just the, the freedom to uh, one of the southern states had the Confederate flag as its symbol, right? Right. South Carolina. South Carolina. Yes. And there well, was... uh, <laughs> having grown up there, you know, I understand the, the feeling, and it's uh, it's a cultural, it's something that's developed. You develop a pride in a region, and it's part of your identity. It becomes part of your identity, and so you're defensive about it throughout the rest of your life. Now, how do African how do African American scholars and ordinary folks respond to these developments? I mean, it must reinforce a lot of perceptions that the problem of race is still a major problem. I mean, is the is the problem that you described earlier about Lincoln and his statue and and Richmond and the Southern Historical Society in Atlanta are these um, isolated issues that tend to focus more on a sense of cultural pride, or are many Southerners still of the opinion that, um, you know, African Americans do represent a different segment of society? That's a, a difficult question for me to answer. Uh, I think it's one of the things that has kept the races apart, perpetuating this appreciation of the Confederacy itself has perpetuated racism. It, it separates the two. You know, it, it is a, a pronounced divide. How can a black man really be in, in empathy with a Confederate sympathizer? It, it just doesn't fit. And so that is something, I think, that has nurtured the division between the races. Interesting. And what roles do you think have schools and universities and churches and synagogues played in trying to bridge that divide? Well, they played a poor role in the past. Uh, I, that's changing. 
I began my career in the ministry and was asked to rewrite one church constitution to prohibit black membership. Really? Yes. Now, what year was... This is unbelievable. This is surprising to me. Uh, 1962 or 3. To prohibit? Yeah, right. Black clergy? Yeah. Well, it, black membership in the, in the uh, congregation. Unbelievable. This is remarkable. Well, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. But when you know the culture well, uh, you know, many times the attitudes are felt but not expressed. And, you know, I've had deacons stand up and challenge me when uh, telling me they had a white daughter in the church when there was any hint of black membership and uh, totally uh, unapproachable. Uh, you couldn't reason with them. I had a daughter in the church. It didn't matter. You know. uh, that is one of the problems that confronts the South. But things are changing. <laughs> now, where do you see these changes? I'm curious about this this change. Do you see this change being driven by generational uh, issues, younger generations, more open? Do you see it being driven by uh, greater levels of... Not necessarily through religion. I went to seminary four years at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary where blacks weren't even allowed on the campus when I was there. They were had to be educated off campus. Really? Boy. Yes. So I found a greater uh, tolerance and um, love for humanity in, uh, t- in secular. I went to Tulane University, which was uh, kind of a pocket of liberalism within the conservative environment, and uh, I found more uh, love for mankind there than I did in the religious work. So, but that that is changing, but the South is still very conservative religiously. The Southern Baptist Convention, for example, is extremely conservative. And that conservatism drifts over into the racial division, which is, I think, bad. That's really a, a remarkable... What I would like to see done is the words of Lincoln, the ideas, the thoughts, the philosophy uh, preached more in the South, in other words, taught more. Education is really the key, and I think uh, the changes that have come have come through education. They began with brute force, uh, but then education is really the key. Do you see the younger generations of high school and uh, newly minted college students uh, much more open to the work of Lincoln and much more open to I do, I do. I'm very Civil much War. see that, yes. And I, I'm, it, that pleases me, and I, I see it happening. And more and more when I see students from the South, uh, I, I seldom encounter them with the extreme bias that I knew 30, 40 years ago. Hmm. And what about African Americans? I'm curious about their desire to use the sources you have there at the Library of Congress? Well, that's, that's kind of a sore uh, point in my thinking. I rarely see an African-American a scholar that is not working in African-American studies. I would love to see them branch out and embrace a broader curriculum or, or subject matter. What are some other subjects that they might pursue at the Library of Congress? Well, I would love to see them simply work on the leadership of the South, you know, to tackle people like uh, Alexander Stevens, even Jefferson Davis, branch out and not just focus on black studies per se. Now, why do you think that is? I mean, I have my own uh, hunches, but why do you think that is? They're more comfortable with it. They grow up with it. It's taught in their schools more. 
and it's just a natural for them. They they identify with it, but it doesn't. It's not to their advantage to limit themselves. And I would love to see them branch out more, almost forced to uh, uh, broaden their horizons. Let's talk a little bit about the legacy of the Civil War with African Americans, Southern whites, Northern whites. What are three contemporary stories that you think capture the spirit of this legacy 140-plus years after the event? Well, some are quite beautiful. Uh, I've I've witnessed uh, some just glowing examples of of, uh, black people embracing uh, just the old democracy, the idea of what the ideals for which the country stands. I've seen them improve in their education. I've worked with them in uh, a special program where we send some of them overseas. And I, some of the finest uh, young men I have met, and women, have been young blacks. And one of them now, uh, several of them are, one of them went to Harvard, and he's now, I think, getting a law degree from William and Mary. Another one uh, got a degree, he was the president of the student body at uh, NC State, North Carolina State, and is now working in New York. So, you know, I see tremendous change, and a lot of this is just education and exposure and opportunity. And, you know, much of it relates to income and uh, the ability to acquire an education. But I've gone to uh, some uh, black schools and, you know, spoken and recruited for special programs, and they tell me that uh, money is not the problem. A, A good black student has all kinds of opportunities all kinds of scholarships thrown his way or her way. So that's not the problem. The problem is interest and focus. Do you have a large collection of diaries or journals written we by African Americans? Diaries and I'm acquiring them all the time. I just got in a fascinating diary where it's a man, a Union soldier who escaped from Andersonville. Uh, just a, a wonderful story, and that has never been published. So I'm, I'm constantly getting in or buying or being given diaries. I got one not too long ago, three volumes long, of a man named Daniels, uh, Nathan W. Daniels. And he commanded uh, black soldiers in New Orleans uh, when Benjamin Butler was there. Yeah. He was... Uh, Persecuted because he was commanding black soldiers. His whole unit was sent to Ship Island, kind of to isolate them so they wouldn't be around white soldiers. So his experience was very negative. And he actually was fired upon in the one battle in which he was engaged, and and seven of his men were killed by white uh, naval uh, Navy men firing and and shooting them off the docks when they were trying to uh, form. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, prejudice right there. But Daniel's diary shows all this, and then he comes to Washington, and two volumes describe his life in Washington. And he's anti-Lincoln. He's actually promoting people like Chase or Benjamin Butler for president. So why is that? Well, <laughs> he thinks Lincoln, Lincoln is not liberal enough. He is, uh, Daniel's is a, an ardent abolitionist. Mm. Lincoln is trying to do the possible. He understands politics. And Daniels doesn't. But you get a a different perspective on this whole uh, political situation in Washington. And I think that diary is a goldmine yet to be tapped. That's remarkable. So these 
These diaries sound like just tremendous resources for... They are. They're well-written. He was well-educated, uh, and he, he kept a steady diary day by day. So it's it's a different slant, but I think it, it really puts more of a, uh, a brighter focus on Washington and the political milieu, and you can compare that with a diary like Taft or people that are in Washington. There needs to be a new book on... Washington during the Civil War, a, a new study. There's so much has come to light since then. I was fascinated by your comments about uh, a white uh, officer leading a black regiment. How did Northerners treat African Americans after they were Well, I did a paper on that some years ago, and it was not a pretty picture. Uh, the blacks were much abused by Union soldiers as they campaigned through the South. Now, why was that? Because weren't they sent as liberators? Well, many, you know, it, they were not fighting to liberate blacks. They were fighting to maintain the Union. Now, that gravitated over time with the help of Lincoln into a war for emancipation. But the white soldiers really did not like the blacks when they came in contact with them. They weren't used to them. It's one thing to talk about freedom when you're not actually engaged in the process. And there was tremendous abuse. I think uh, 80% uh, were more abusive uh, in the instances I found. Some to the point of murder. I'm uh, sorry, 80%? Yeah, it was bad. What was that again? I would say that 80% of the Union soldiers encountering blacks did not treat them uh, anywhere near as equals. Unbelievable. Yeah, I found it uh, very bad. That paper I wrote was published in, uh, I think, the main historical quarterly. Now, is that because they also harbored the same racial attitudes of their southern uh, compatriots, or was it because they were angry about having to fight in the war, ostensibly to help liberate them? What, was, what, what were some of the animating factors that shaped that attitude? I think they had uh, a misconception on both ends. The blacks didn't understand exactly what was happening to them and what they expected from the Union soldiers uh, was help, food, assistance. Uh, the Union soldiers really weren't equipped to provide for them. They became camp followers in mass and just a burden, a drag on the Army. Uh, some of them, even the blacks, abandoning babies along the way to maintain the pace of the troops. So it was just a rough time in war, and it's it's one thing to talk about liberating people that are enslaved. It's another thing to go among those people and, and try to enjoy them. It, it didn't work too well. well. That almost ties into the opening interview at the top of our show, right, where they talked about, this one woman talked about her experience and how Union soldiers came to her camp and took away some of her brothers and sisters, which she never saw again. And they referred to them as, I sent a little nigger home. Uh, and it, it wasn't a pretty picture. And part of it was uh, lack of understanding of black culture, of what slavery was like, of what those people had suffered. And part of it was just a, a cultural divide that was just immense. Remarkable. Well, this has been a fascinating story, and I really appreciate your time and, and insights. Again, it's been my pleasure to interview Dr. John Sellers of the Library of Congress, thank you so much for a wonderful interview. Okay. Thank you. Bye. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us. I'm Phil Russman.